Amen. Well, hey, can we give it up for audience of one for leading us in worship? Hey, on the count of three, I want everyone to shout your favorite part of today. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, I, I understood none of that, but I, I got, oh, what's up? What's up, my chads? <laughs> It, it sounds like we had a lot of fun today, and it was so cool seeing you guys at recreation, seeing you guys at free time, just lean into what we have here at Hume. Hey, as I've uh, debriefed last night with the Hume staff and with your counselors and with your youth leaders and even with my family, it was so encouraging for me and for all of us last night just to see how much you were just leaning in to what God might have for us in this chapel time. Uh, so I just want to genuinely thank you for that and ask if you would do that again with me tonight, because uh, last night we talked about God and how he's revealed who we are, and it's such a fun thing and good thing that we get to do. So thank you. This is us learning together. Hey, so speaking of last night, who can tell me, raise your hands, what was main point number one? Back there. God is sovereign. Awesome. To be sovereign means that God has the authority to rule. That's how we define sovereignty. God has the authority to rule. So just like we're going to see King Nebuchadnezzar here is the king of Babylon, he is sovereign over Babylon. And just like God Almighty is sovereign over all of the universe. Okay, thank you. What about point number two? What was point number two? Right there. White sweatshirt. Yep. We're all exiles. Yeah, and I heard her back there saying Christians are exiles. And to be an exile means someone who's forced out of your home and is living somewhere else. And what we're going to talk about this week is that our sin has exiled us from right relationship with God. But in, through faith in Jesus, New Jerusalem, right, is our home. So whether I'm in California or Virginia or Australia or China, wherever I am on the earth, I am in exile. I'm a sojourner just longing to be home through faith in Jesus. Okay, if you got your Bible, let's go ahead and raise it up in the air again. I want to say again, if you don't have a physical copy of God's Word, please tell your counselor, please tell a Hume staff member, because I'd love for all of us just to come so ready to see. Uh, but remember what we're going to do. I'm going to read the passage. I'm going to say, this is the Word of the Lord, and you'll say... Thanks be to God. What a gift this book is. Hey, with those Bibles, you can start opening up to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to finish all of chapter 1 tonight. Yay. <laughs> okay. We're going to look. We, read, we just went over two verses last night. We learned about the kings. King Jehoiakim of, of Judah also known as Israel, and then King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And just a reminder that King Jehoiakim, 27 generations before him, his super great-grandpa Abraham was promised by God that he would be given a land, that they would be a great nation, and he would have many descendants, and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. And then remember verse 2, it says, the Lord gave. That's where we got to talk about God's sovereignty, that God stewarded this wicked nation to give King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar. So now we get to go from kings to, to teenagers. 
And it's so sweet how applicable this is for, for you guys here in this room uh, to see that your faith doesn't start when you're in your 20s, but right now you can live faithfully for the Lord. Okay, before I get to the text, uh, let's do a little quiz time because Hume and, and Harry and, and Melinda and crew just did an awesome job with the production. Uh, so quiz time, who is Darlene? Who does Darlene represent? Red bandana. Daniel. Darlene represents Daniel. Sherman. Who does Sherman represent? Yeah. Yeah, not just one character. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, who else we got? Judith. Right here. Who does Judith represent? Yeah, the rest of the captives. Yeah. Okay, and then I also had the trashers. They got the shields and the funny helmet. Yeah. The trashers represent the Babylonians. And who is the Nez? Nebuchadnezzar. Awesome. You guys are just paying such good attention. Uh, two powerful quotes that really impacted me this morning was Darlene was up here radioing the king, right, which represented Daniel praying and just begging that the king would save them from this captivity. And she said something. She said, even though we don't deserve it. And you see just the humility that we're going to see in Daniel throughout this text. And then Sherman when the trashers bring this food and it says, here's this new diet for you, and, and Judith is just slamming the whipped cream, Sherman says, I would rather stand up for the right reasons than fit in for the wrong reasons. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, having resolve to follow God and not man. Okay, you should be at Daniel by now. I'm going to read verses 3 through 8, and then we're going to get into it. But hey, let me, let me pray first. Lord, would you just set my heart in the right place? Would you please see fit to speak through me, uh, to illuminate the truth of your word to me and to the students and to the youth leaders and everyone here in this room? Would the result of tonight be a bigger view of you, God, and a proper view of ourselves and to see that through our faith in you that we can have resolve to follow you? So would this be your night? Would we learn about you through the story of Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 through 8. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, Endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you look up at the picture here, you're going to see, uh, we had it yesterday, a modern day map of what we're looking at, because we're talking about real people from a real time in human history. And Jerusalem, the capital of modern day Israel, and then 
Babylon is in modern-day Iraq. Today, once again, it would be a 13-hour drive, just over a 13-hour drive without stopping between these places. But at, at this time, over 2,500 years ago, it would take weeks, if not months, for these captives to travel from Jerusalem through this hot desert all the way to Babylon. So what's going on here? King Nebuchadnezzar now has control of Jerusalem, and he tells Ashpenaz, he tells him to go find people who are of the royal family, people, it literally says, who are attractive, people who have proven themselves in their knowledge and that could stand confidently in the king's court. And this is why, to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans are the wise men of Babylon. So basically what's, happened, what's happening here is Daniel, Mish, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, getting their Babylonian names mixed up, they're being ripped out of their home, traveling for weeks if not months to this foreign land, and now they're learning a new language, they're learning a new law, and studying new literature. And not only that, their names are changing. But even further than that, King Nebuchadnezzar is even telling them what to eat and what to drink. So what's really going on here is King Nebuchadnezzar is actually playing the role of God. Because the nation of Israel was God's chosen people. He told Israel that he would be their personal God and they would be his chosen people. And God gave the law to Moses for the Israelites to follow, which included what to eat and what to drink, what to say and what not to say. God gives the law to Moses, but now they're no longer going to study this. They're going to study what the Babylonians have. And why is Nebuchadnezzar doing this? He's doing it all for his glory and his praise, not for the glory and praise of, like Roxy told us, God's personal name, Yahweh. That means that I am, if you know that story from Scripture. So what's really happening here is Nebuchadnezzar is acting as if he is sovereign, as if he has the authority to rule and reign all nations. But we know that that's not really true because we see verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So Nebuchadnezzar is trying to control every aspect of their life. And you're going to see on the screen, main point number one. Everyone hold up a one for me. Main point number one here, Daniel resolved to follow God and not man. And the definition of resolve is up there for you. Feel free to write it down if you're taking notes with me. To have resolve means to declare firmly on a course of action. It's not just a flippant decision that, that Daniel's making here. It's Daniel having this conclusive conviction that I am not going to eat this food. And what we're going to see in the text is that Daniel is actually risking his life here. And here I'm going to give you a lesson of uh, just a good ways to practice studying God's word. Because it's really important not to draw conclusions from scripture that God's word doesn't give us. And there's biblical scholars and theologians that have different theories for what it means that this food would defile Daniel. Some would say that maybe the food that the Babylonians are giving them is against the Mosaic law. And, and it's declared unclean by God. Maybe, but the text doesn't, doesn't say that for sure. I think that's a good option. Another theory that people have is that maybe this was food that was sacrificed to false gods. And that made it unclean. Or the third option could be maybe Daniel just recognized that Nebuchadnezzar and, ba and Babylon are trying to act sovereign over his life. 
And so anything good that might happen to Daniel, Babylon might get the credit. So maybe just this is a line that he's drawing in the sand and saying, no, I'm not going to do this because you are not sovereign over my life. Friends, I think it could be any of those, but here's what we know for sure, and here's what it would look like to be a good student of the word. We know for a fact that Daniel has a, a conviction that this food will defile me. We don't exactly know the reasons why, but Daniel resolves, I'm not going to eat that. And he risks his life by going to the chief eunuch and, and saying this, because it's the king's food, right, that, he, that they're giving the captives. And this would be something that the Babylonians, every other citizen, would long to have. And how offensive would it be if this teenage boy comes from Jerusalem and says, hey, thanks, but I'm not going to eat that. I'm good. It's literally the king's food that he has here. And I want to show you, I'm just going to give a brief overview. Having resolve to make the right choice, even when you don't know what the conclusion will be, is a characteristic of God's people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and even today for you and me. Today, God gives us the power to resolve to make the right choice and then to trust God what the result might be. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, you don't have to turn here. We're all pretty familiar with this story. Uh, God meets Noah, and he tells him to build an ark. And it takes decades for Noah to build this ark. But he resolves that he is going to obey what God has told him even though his community was probably mocking him. In Genesis 12, we talked about this last night, where Abram, who would become Abraham, resolved that he literally left his home, left a majority of his family, and went to this foreign land because he had faith in God. And he resolved to follow God, not knowing what the conclusion would be. Daniel chapter 3, we're going to share this story tomorrow. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they resolve that Nebuchadnezzar has made this false god and tells everyone to bow down to it. And they say, we will not bow down to this god. And they risk their life for in being obedient to the Lord. Okay, now in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 4, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they resolve to follow Jesus. They left their careers. They left their family, not knowing what exactly that all would entail. But Jesus was worth following to them. And then in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, Jesus has now lived his life, poured into the disciples, died on the cross, rose from the grave, spent 40 days on earth, and then ascended into heaven and left his followers now to continue the work that he started. And that's where in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, they're brought before the authorities, and the authorities tell them, hey, we're going to let you go, but just stop talking about Jesus but they resolve to follow God and not man. This might be a sore wound that I'm going to bring up here. The Hume staff this evening resolved that we would beat the counselors no matter what happened in kickball. Anyone see that? Thank you. Uh, it was a close game. I forget who, who kicked the game winner. Um, but we resolved, we had this conclusive decision that we're going to win at all costs. Daniel, Daniel has this conviction, and he stands up for it. He makes the, the right decision. He follows the righteous, God-glorifying path without knowing the results. So here's where I want to make it personally applicable for you, students. What would it look like for you to have resolve to follow God without knowing what the results might be? Maybe for you, 
It's just simply not laughing at that inappropriate joke that your friends are making. Maybe to take it a step further, it's having a resolve to actually call out your brothers and sisters in Christ of, hey, this isn't honoring to God. We shouldn't joke like this. Maybe it's having resolve, making this conclusive decision that I'm not going to watch this movie or I'm not going to go on this person's TikTok or I'm not going to follow this influencer because what, what they really have there is not honoring to God. Maybe it's having resolve to, to not gossip about the person in your group that everyone else is gossiping about, but instead befriending them because you just want to be faithful to God and, and love him and love others. Maybe it's having resolve to go to God's word as a standard for truth rather than social media, rather than what you might be hearing from someone or something else, but always going back to God's word and seeing if that is so. Maybe it's having resolve to, to give your lives to one day either seeing people go to areas of the world where this gospel that we get to freely talk about in this nation, to go into areas of the world where people don't have the freedom to learn and hear about Jesus. So here's, here's the point that I'm getting at. In verse 8, Daniel resolves that he is not going to eat this food because it would defile him. He has this clear conviction. But this is before verse 9, where we see actually how God responds to Daniel's resolve. So my challenge to all of us is, are we like Daniel in verse 8 before, before knowing what happens in verse 9? So let's see what happens in Daniel chapter 1, verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what we're seeing here now is Daniel has this resolve of I'm going to follow what I believe God has convicted me to do, and I'm not going to eat this food. And then if you have your highlighter, if you're underlining this, in verse 9, and God gave. Again, God gets all the credit for what happens here. God gives Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. But then the chief of the eunuchs responds to Daniel and says, Daniel, this is commendable what you're doing, but listen, I want to show you what's at stake. It's not just your head that's on the line here. It wouldn't be just you offending King Nebuchadnezzar. It would be me as well. So Daniel's not just risking his life. He's risking the life of the authorities over him. So Daniel, in wisdom that can only come from the Lord, goes to the steward that was appointed over his group. And he says, hey, how about you just give us 10 days? Let us not eat the food that would defile us. And then compare us to the people, remember Judith, when she had the whipped cream all over her mouth and just did not look healthy and in good shape? Compare us to those people, the rest of the captives, and then make your decision from there. So 
by God's grace, the steward agrees to this, and then they, they pass the test. They're healthier than every other captive that has come to Babylon and is in this three-year training period with them. And chapter 1 ends incredibly. In verse 17, again, we see the statement, God gave. It says, as for the four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature. So how the chapter ends is that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they, they walk through these three years of training, learning the literature and language of the Chaldeans. But now they can eat. Wow, is that a spider? Thank you. <laughs> But now, now they can eat the food that they desire to. That really threw me off guard seeing someone running in my peripherals. <laughs> and then when they're compared to the rest of the captives, not just in their physical appearance, but now in their, their understanding and knowledge and wisdom, they are better. They're the valedictorians of their class. And then when they're, when they're compared to the professionals in Babylon, in verse 20 here, it says, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. So what we have here is God empowering these teenagers from Jerusalem. And they're not only better than the people who are in their class, they're actually better than the professionals of Babylon. So what's the, what's the takeaway here from Daniel chapter 1? Is it just eat your veggies and drink your water and then you're going to be appointed to high places in the kingdom? No, thank you. The answer is no, and it would be foolish if we just looked at one instance in Scripture and assumed that that's what happens every single time. By God's grace, that's what happens for these four youths. But here's something that I want to just hone in on. Our, Our culture and our world, and I think it's just a part of human nature, will tell us today that one of the ways that we can see if we made the right choice is if our life is comfortable and if everything is working out for us now, then that's how we can decide if we made the right choice in the past. But that's a very dangerous philosophy to live by and that's actually not what we see in God's word. By the grace of God, he saw fit from his sovereign seat for it to work out for Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in this instance But then what would you do with Daniel chapter 6 when Daniel literally gets thrown into a den of hungry lions just because he prayed? The the result was very different. It actually looked very poorly there. Does that mean that he was wrong? Let me take it one step further. What do you do with Jesus dying on the cross? Friends, sometimes when we make the right choice, that means things might get harder for us. But the result in what happens is just up to God himself. Because Jesus, and that's who we're going to talk about ultimately, and I'm praying that we see him through the text of Daniel. Jesus, in his time on earth, was fully God and fully man. This is called the hypostatic union. And that's a big theological word. But Jesus was fully God and fully man. And I love Christian hip-hop. My favorite rapper is Shylin. Has anyone, anyone heard of Shylin before? Yeah. I see some hands. He has a song literally called Hypostatic Union, and in there he says, fully divine, fully human. Yeah, I'm talking the hypostatic union, that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and he lives this life. Remember when I said last night that God is holy, that he's morally perfect, and he makes no decisions. There's, there's no sin in him. 
So if Jesus is fully God, there's no sin in him, but then he dies on the cross. So sometimes when we make the right choice, it might end up harder for us, but it's up to God what the conclusion might be. And here's the key question that I want to have for you tonight. I have one main point and one key question that I want us to, to walk out with. It's, am I only seeking God's approval? It's an important question because in verse 8, Daniel had no idea what was going to happen for standing up for his conviction. And all he cared about is, God, I believe that this food is going to defile me. And I know that the Babylonians aren't going to respond well to this. And they'll probably be offended and I'll probably die. But I only care, God, about what you think and what you would have. That's what we can learn from Daniel. And where this comes from, and I want you to turn in your Bibles here to Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Galatians, it's a letter in the New Testament. It's right after 2 Corinthians, and it's right before Ephesians. Go ahead and start turning there. And as you're turning there, I'm going to tell you why I wanted to bring this verse up. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, possibly hundreds of times in the last two years, the Lord has brought this verse to my mind, because as I, I challenged you guys earlier of what would it look like for you to have resolve to one day commit your life to going to areas of the world where the gospel of Jesus is not accessible, my wife and I, we had to ask ourselves two years ago, if we believe that Jesus is the only way to be made right with God, and if we're hearing about the reality that there's people, there's junior hires in the world that will live their whole lives without ever hearing about who Jesus is and what he's done. And if that's true, other areas of the world, then what would it look like for us to say yes and to desire to be future sent ones to these nations? And it was really hard for us to come to our friends and family. When we started praying through this, we just had our first baby girl. We just had Gracie. I said, Lord, that, that was one of the hardest things for me to surrender. Another really hard thing was, God, what are my friends and family going to think? And that's where Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 just kept coming up. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So I'm going to ask you to, to do me a favor and, again, to have your mature caps on here. And I'm just going to ask for 10 seconds of silence. And in light of that verse, and I'm going to be silent too, I want us to ask ourselves, whose approval am I seeking? Is it God's or is it someone else's? So let's take 10 seconds. You can journal. You can just think, but don't talk to your neighbor here. Well, even as I challenge you guys to ask that, I'm, I'm praying to the Lord and asking, God, do I really only care about your approval or do I care about the approval of the audience right now? Because it'd be really tempting to come up here and just want to be someone that you guys like, but that's not my goal here. My goal is to introduce you to the God of the universe through his word. So this is something that you shouldn't just ask yourself tonight, but make this a regular rhythm of what is my motivation here? Am I doing this for God? 
or am I doing this for someone or something else? The last verse that I'm going to share, you don't have to turn there because we'll have it up on the screen. This comes from Jesus. He's giving his sermon on the mount. And in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14, I love here that Jesus makes it crystal clear that life's not going to be easy for people who follow him until the coming day of redemption, right? So as he's kept us here, life might be hard. Okay, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So here's the reality of this fallen, broken world that we live in because of our sin, is that a majority of people and the majority of our culture is going to be running away from God. That's where the tide is going to be going. But God's people, followers of Jesus, have resolved to stand against the tide and not follow where the world is going to destruction, but to go on the, on the hard path, on the narrow path, through faith in Jesus that leads to life. So I'm going to put the key question back up there, and then we're going to end here tonight. If you got your journal, I'd encourage you to write this down. Am I only seeking God's approval? Can we be like verse 8 Daniel without knowing what happens in verse 9? And friends, this can happen for you this week at camp. It's never too late to resolve to follow God. While you still have breath in your lungs, you can resolve to just put your faith in him and not work out of your own strength. So I'm going to close us in prayer and just praying that we all just come to Lord completely surrendered for what he would have. Lord, we, we started this time reading your word, just asking that you would teach your truth to us. And I just pray, I, I know day one of camp, we come here tired, and it's been a long day. But now to get to open your word and learn about you, Lord, would you uh, maybe help these, these students forget anything that might have been from me? And just only keep in their hearts and in their minds what was directly from you. And Lord, would we have resolved to follow you no matter what the cost is, because you are worth it. In Jesus' name, amen.